whether you are starting a business or running a business, maybe you're producing a podcast like The Kara Golden Show. Let's face it, it's always way harder than one might expect. Lots of little details, meticulous planning, producing product, guest coordination, editing, promoting each episode. It's all a ton of work. Managing merchandise, managing cases and book sales too, layer after layer of complexity. And if you're like me, looking for ways to operate more efficiently and effectively is the name of the game. That's why I'm going to let you in on a little secret. ShipStation, the tool that is here to help you and you need to know all about it. With ShipStation, you can integrate with all the places you sell online, optimize your shipping, save costs and time. Personally, ShipStation has been a lifesaver for me. Its automation features allow me to manage orders from anywhere and print shipping labels with just a click. Seriously, it's that easy. And the cost savings? Unbelievable. With discounts up to 89% off carrier rates, you can't go wrong. Significant savings. And who doesn't want that? An easy-to-use dashboard, robust reporting. Oh, and did I mention that over 130,000 companies have leveraged ShipStation to grow their businesses? Not much churn either. 98% of them stay with ShipStation because it truly works. ShipStation is it. So if you're ready to streamline your shipping process and focus more on what you love, head over to ShipStation.com the innovative tool that helps turn your shipping challenges into opportunities for growth. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CARA to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CARA. Use code CARA for a free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, promo code CARA. I am unwilling to give up that I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. So your only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders, We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Kara Golden Show. Super, super excited to have my next guest here. We are joined by Ben Goodwin, who is the co-founder and CEO of a very fun brand that you may have seen and hopefully have tasted. And if you haven't tasted you need to get out to the store or get online immediately and give it a try. It's called Olipop. Very, very fun. Launched just a few years ago. Uh, This Better For You soda brand has put gut health and indulgence side by side. And I really look forward to discussing his journey to disrupting the ready, $400 billion a year global soda industry and continuing to stay ahead of the competition. So welcome, Ben. Hey, Kara. Thanks so much for having me. Stoked to be here. Super nice to have you here and uh, very, very excited to get into our discussion. So please tell us all in your words, what is Olipop? So Olipop is a new kind of soda. Um, It's actually the first real disruption to the soda industry since the 1980s when effectively like diet soda came into the forefront. Olipop is the uh, progenitor of the cat- this new category, which is kind of being called in the trade press functional soda. Uh, and we're kind of definitively as well the, the leader in that category. And Olipop, as a part of that new kind of soda st- structure, I mean, what effectively differentiates it is on an experiential basis, it's just like the soda you grew up drinking. I mean, I grew up drinking that soda, and I was very persnickety about making sure the flavor profile matched. Uh, but instead of 40 grams of sugar, it's 2 to 5 grams per 12-ounce can. Uh, and then we actually use fiber and prebiotics in the product as well, which we've actually done uh, some clinical trials around as well to be able to prove out, uh, or at least, I can't say prove, but to evidence benefit to to consumers. 
Uh, and there right now we've got nine grams of total fiber per can as well, which makes a big difference when only one in 10 Americans are actually even meeting the uh, FDA recommended quantity of fiber, you know, on a daily basis. And so there's a gap that we're trying to address and, and all I pause for that. So I read a little bit about your backstory, but I'd love for you to share it. It's uh, you didn't come from the beverage industry. This was very personal for you. Would you mind yeah. sharing the backstory? Yeah. Of course. I mean, uh, I kind of, I, I grew up consuming a standard American diet. Uh, we also grew up fairly poor. And that combination, so when you don't have a lot of money and you're consuming standard American diet, doesn't tend to go well. <laughs> I don't know if you've mm-hmm. noticed. So I grew up kind of overweight and, and anxious. Um, and it was kind of essentially playing out the, the normal course that it, that it does. And at 14, um, it was just this kind of fairly, this moment of epiphany. Um, I just realized like, this is not a good arc. Like the way that this is the way I'm feeling now, the way that this is going to play out into my life. I don't want my life to play out like this. So kind of overnight, uh, I just sh- shifted my exercise diet. I started you know, paying attention to my mental health. Um, and it was a pretty transformative experience for me over kind of the next four or five years. It'd be a huge point of focus. And what was pretty impactful to me is, you know, obviously I lost a bunch of weight and had a bunch of positive outcomes on that end of the spectrum, but it was really the, the, uh, the stabilization against my emotional health, kind of the, the uh, enhanced cognitive benefits that I got as well from that shift in my diet that impacted me the most. And I ended up feeling like this is a very powerful tool for self-actualization, for self-improvement, it's fully under my control. Um, and so I really leaned into it and I ended up wanting somehow to make my life about expanding that um, or uh, just promoting that as, as an adult. Um, and then I was going to college for environmental science and I ended up dropping out of college. Um, and in part, you know, I had a, a mentor um, who actually actually grades in warehouse parties when I was like a teenager. Uh, still would, by the way. I'm just kind of too busy to do so, but it's like still very fun. Uh, but I, I met my mentor through that, uh, through an event I threw, um, and he was a black civil rights activist, won a Supreme Court case by himself with no legal representation. And uh, he's the reason why it's illegal for your police to ask you for your ID without probable cause. Hmm. Um, and I was really, really impacted by the kind of direct action that was associated with what he actually accomplished. And also somebody who, again, growing up poor, didn't want to be saddled with debt. Um, I ended up dropping out of college. But simultaneously, so it was this kind of, I think I can take direct action to accomplish something really interesting in my life. I know that I'm a person that when I'm fascinated with something, I really, really kind of mercilessly get after it and, and learn and explore. Um, and uh, I also have just always had the natural kind of makings of an entrepreneur. And I kind of just put the two and two together that I could become a health and wellness or a CPG entrepreneur. And that's the direction I went. And I obviously never looked back. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years, helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, 
Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices. Snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code GOLDEN50 at factormeals.com slash GOLDEN50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. So did you know a lot of CPG entrepreneurs that had sort of started companies and scaled them? I mean, this is just like, this is wild. No, definitely not. You know, I think like I I did, I I was born in San Francisco. I grew up in Northern California. And so entrepreneurialism is just a part of the tapestry. Um, I, I do think about this, right? Because there's a lot of really valid criticism around Silicon Valley. And, you know, I like fully get it. Simultaneously, I'm a weird dude. And there's a lot of places in the in the country where my weirdness would have been, um, you know, such a blockage to my progress. And the one thing I will say on Silicon Valley's benefit on the, on the behalf is like, you know, I think people recognize like, here's this guy stepping into a meeting with hedge fund people or whatever, and he's wearing sweatpants. And that was wearing sweatpants pre-COVID or whatever. Ironically, don't wear sweatpants today, but anyway. Uh, so this is obviously a bit strange. He's talking about the microbiome at, at national scale. And it's just like these wild conversations. But like, there was a, there was a mentality of like, let's, get, let's let, hear him out and let's see we actually think that this could produce some real value. And do we kind of believe in this guy? And I do think uniquely Silicon Valley was, was and, and Northern California was an environment that did help to open that pathway up for me. Um, but yeah, in terms of, did I know about CPG uh, entrepreneurs or people who scaled anything? No, of course not. Definitely not. So you were on a journey to get yourself healthy and saw okay. just by, uh, just by changing things in your own diet. What was it about fiber for you that just really, it sounds like a light bulb really went off. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Fiber is something I ended up coming to somewhat deeper into my journey. I think it it started with, uh, I kind of erroneously decided I wanted to get into beverage. Um, I had some idea about a beverage. I had Actually, with a friend, I'd started up a farmer's market booth in high school selling young Thai coconuts, right? And I had like tried a coconut 
And I, I was like, why so many drinking these? These are awesome. So again, this is kind of entrepreneurial nature I have. We started at Barbara's Market Booth. And then I was like, hey, it'd be awesome to actually create the drink. And again, this is this was 18 years ago. So I like created a drink with coconut water and some other things like so I kind of erroneously wanted to get into beverage, but I didn't know where to start. And I had a friend who was starting a kombucha company. And I kind of knew a little bit what kombucha was, but not very much. But I said, that sounds like fun. But uh, so I, I joined it with him um, and I helped him kind of start, you know, in getting that company off the ground. And so that was kind of the place I first cut my teeth, both into kind of fermentation and beverage in general, especially kind of the supply chain and ops side um, and the production side. But I also learned what the microbiome is. And then I learned about the brain gut axis. Let's say it produced the majority of our neurotransmitters and hormones in our microbiome via fermentation, what we eat is effectively the medium that they consume to mm-hmm. produce those uh, metabolites. That's where the real light bulb, the initial light bulb was of, oh, wow, this is probably what happened to me. I drastically changed my diet and my lifestyle and that really affected my microbiome, which corresponded to help my mental and um, my cognitive and emotional functioning. Fido came down the road, even like a decade later, maybe because the, the prevalent the prevailing wisdom at the time was that the best way to benefit the microbiome was through the pathway of probiotics and, and, and probiotics via fermentation as well. And I'm still a fan of fermentation, but a lot of the consumer grade probiotics um, didn't end up providing as much benefit as, as we kind of initially thought that they might for a host of reasons, which I get into. If you want to, or you don't have to. Um, then there's this more, this newer stream of science looking at the kind of dietary, the overall dietary composition mm-hmm. of indigenous groups and other gatherers and the things that are pretty prevalent in their diet that are missing from the industrialized diet. And that's where fiber rose to the top, where we were saying, oh my God, the microbiomes are way healthier. Their blood sugar stability is much better. Their mucosal membranes much better in their diet. Like mechanically, they're better off. And, all, and they're not obviously taking probiotic caps, right? They're, right. It's their diets that are driving all this benefit and, and what are the big things that are present. Then ended up landing on fiber, prebiotics, and nutritional diversity as being the three things that are really present in those diets that are missing from the industrialized diet. That ended up becoming the nutritional platform that powers all of them. So you and I were talking before we hit record, you originally started with probiotics and then you moved mm-hmm. over to prebiotics. Uh, can you share a little bit more about why that decision? What is the difference? I think most consumers don't really understand it. Yeah, 100%. So, so probiotics are actually the microorganisms themselves that there's evidence uh, and that there's evidence that those microorganisms confer at uh, benefit to the to the host, right? Um, so you oftentimes see lactobacillus strains in, in that probiotic, uh, probiotic category. You see bifidobacterium strains in that probiotic category. We actually are the research that we've done at Purdue and, and another major leading university. We were actually able to show that our product massively grew bifidobacteria, right? So, and that is the difference between prebiotics and probiotics. Prebiotics are the food that are targeted at growing those microorganisms, probiotics are the microorganisms themselves. And now you're starting to hear people talk about postbiotics also. Postbiotics are the metabolite that the probiotic generates uh, as it eats things and, and excretes at, you know, effectively the outcome. Um, we're not probably going to get to postbiotics. I think it's a complicated conversation with consumers. Uh, but that, that's the three. That's the pre, the probe, and the and the post. Is there one, I, I feel like pre is so much more popular right now. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one that is, uh, is this like 2.0 of, of the probiotic phase or do you think that they're just different? I do think it, I, I do think so. I like, as I looked at the research, um, I became, and like this thing about, I spent a, I spent a decade of my life, I, I, which company that I worked on, I had a fermented water keeper business, uh, which was kind of when I first came up with this healthy set idea um, prior to Olopop. So I, I had like a decade invested in fermentation and, uh-huh. and probiotics. So it wasn't this super easy switch, but the data was so overwhelming. Um, 
there's a lot of issues with probiotics that the um so if I have probiotics in the liquid matrix, are they gonna survive in in the in the liquid? You know, are they gonna survive um the gastric, you know, juices in the stomach? Are they actually gonna make it where they need to make it to in the colon? If they do make it where they need to make it in the colon, are they actually sticking around or are they just getting excreted out? Are they are they competing with your native microbiome or are they synergizing like these are so many questions, and unfortunately, the data on the outcomes just weren't that great. Like uh, in terms of like t- consumers taking commercially available probiotics, I saw a lot of spore form probiotics in drinks, and then I would go to culture them, and nothing would grow. And I was like, mm-hmm. I'm not really confident that this that claim happening. against probiotics is is very valid. Or you have things like kombuchas. Um, there are no probiotics in kombucha as a base culture. If they actually have a probiotic in the kombucha, it's because they're adding a separate isolated strain. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the definition of, of, of uh, kombucha, but the microorganisms that are actually in kombucha, they actually do not meet the, the classification for being a probiotic. Um, and the only randomized human tr- trial I've ever seen on kombucha did not indicate that it actually did not clearly demonstrate that it conferred a benefit to the consumer. So there's, you know, so this is like, like this is this swirl in probiotic land. Meanwhile, prebiotics, there's some complexity that you have to engage with on the manufacturing side, ensuring that you are putting the right prebiotics in at the right ratios, uh, that you're not causing gastric distress, that you're actually delivering the, the payload that you claim you are on your, on your, uh, on your packaging. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff that has to be worked through. But if you get it correct, I think it's a more stable, more consistent way to provide benefit to the consumer. And you're growing the native species that are already in the consumer's microbiome. Um, and so I think you have a much higher chance of actually getting those modified microbiomes to stick around versus a lot of the kind of transient nature that we typically see in the uh, probiotic research. This episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. The holidays are right around the corner and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals for you and your family or friends to enjoy. Hosting this holiday, HelloFresh has just what you need to please a crowd without the hassle. And no matter what time of year, choose from over 45 weekly recipes and over 100 curated picks to make your home cooking easy and delicious. That's why HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. And here's something else. I found that HelloFresh really saves me something I value a lot these days, time. They curate the best recipes for me making healthy, great meals quick and easy. All I need to do is figure out who to invite over and what bottle of wine to crack open and enjoy. Seriously, I love HelloFresh. Healthy meal options ranging from low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian, and more. All pre-portioned and made simple for anyone in my house to prepare and enjoy. HelloFresh is more than just dinners, too. Breakfast, quick lunches, and fresh snacks are also now available for you to add to your weekly box. Such great options that don't disappoint and are great to have on hand for the week. Great food, minus the fuss, and minus the last-minute decision-making, too. That's what comes to mind when I think of HelloFresh. Plus, all of their recipes take 30 minutes or even less to create. You really can't beat what HelloFresh provides. Go to HelloFresh.com slash KGS free for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash KGS free with code KGS free. For free breakfast for life, go to HelloFresh.com slash KGS free and use code KGS free for your free breakfast item per box while your subscription is active.
So getting back to Ollie, so, uh, so, or Ollie Pop, I should, I should say, sorry about that. Uh, so your branding, it's so fun and so unique. Um, I love, love, love the packaging and aims to tap into nostalgia and shared social moments. I love following, uh, your, texts as well as uh, on social. Yeah, it's super, super, super great. So how have you thought about nostalgia in in general? Like, why is it so important for uh, consumers today? And and I I really think it's such a great pull um, for your brand, even if you haven't tried it, it makes people like want to try it. Uh, And I... I, f- I think that's like such an interesting thing, no matter what category you're in. It's just, it's super fun. Yeah. Thanks for that question. And I think it, it is, it's, it's an interesting one. It's something certainly that even early days, it was, we knew, Hey, there's this nostalgia. There's this kind of like modern retro dynamic that we're pursuing. Uh, but the journey has really evolved and it's been super, I mean, 10-ish years ago or whatever in the, my prior beverage called OB, um, you know, which wasn't for a man that did have these kind of soda concepts. It was one of the, I started exploring this kind of healthy soda angle. Um, you know, like, the it was a pretty simple thought process. It was basically just, I've seen a lot of these natural, healthy products end up getting pretty, you know, maybe they work for you know, the West Coast, but then the second you try to go put them in Ohio, the Walmart in Ohio, they fall on their face, right? Because mm-hmm. of perceived elitism, because of kind of product offerings that just make, that are just way out of touch, uh, flavor profiles that don't make any sense, you know, just with that, with that grouping. And so the, the simple math that I had in my head is if I really care about, uh, the health of the American customer, consumer and American society, my job is to create products that address the largest swaths possible and meet consumers where they are as much as I possibly can. So, and just running the math, I mean, even kombucha now only is about 14% household penetration, whereas soda has 98% household penetration, right? I mean, you were talking about the scale, the global scale of the soda industry at the, at the top of the podcast. It's massive, right? And yeah. the, the further you dig... Um, and here's, I mean, I was, so I, here's a piece of, I was invited onto a discovery, um, TV show called America's Mess History of Food. And this was like two and a half years ago. It's a while back. And they're like, we're going to talk about the history of, of soda. It's, it's going to be the soda episode of the show. And so I assumed they wanted me to talk about the history of soda. And at that point, I kind of knew some stuff, but I didn't know very much. So I read three books on the history of soda on the lead up to the interview and it ended up going great but i learned that america just has this insane fascinating history uh with soda so so it's deeply interwoven over the last 150 years to american culture it's i came to find out how deeply woven it is into the individual identities of so many americans and it just really created this entirely new context around the concept of meeting people where they were, because as we got a lot more depth, um, we found all sorts of more nuanced and kind of social and, and attachment-oriented ways to, to, to drive that story, of which nostalgia is a key component. But it ends up, when you start to unpack what that nostalgia means, you end up going down this, we, we've ended up going down this really interesting rabbit hole. It's just made it like so much, so rich. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it's it's fascinating because it's uh, in many ways. I mean, Coca Cola. It's no secret that started out as a health uh, product, and and yeah. uh, you know, not so healthy. But uh, but you know that they did their best, I guess, back in in the uh, the days of starting Coca Cola. But it's it's really really fascinating how uh, you know, even yeah. Well, you know that the federal government didn't step in and, and say, like, you can't keep calling soda healthy until 1942. So it's crazy. For like 60, 70 years, soda was absolutely viewed as a health tonic and positioned that way in the United States, despite the sugar, despite the caffeine, despite the cocaine. 
Uh, I think it's pretty. It's crazy. It's just, yeah, it's totally, totally crazy. So I've followed, uh, you know, a lot of these, the marketing of, of these brands. And my father mm-hmm. had actually been in the food industry and had started a brand called Healthy Choice, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. is, you know, I feel like I've heard of it. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's, uh, now it's, you know, started in the 70s and started under Armor Food Company and then ended up getting acquired by ConAgra. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's sort of at a very, young age for me started schooling me on a lot of, uh, these, uh, these different brands and yeah, little interesting. Yeah. It was really it was super fascinating. So anyway, getting back to Olipop. Uh, so what are some of the biggest challenges you had? You're, you've got this idea, you've been working in different beverage companies at the farmer's markets, talking to consumers. You've seen that, you know, this is a drink that really is, uh, you've got this idea that you can scale it. What was the first step? Did you take it to a farmer's market or what was the first store that you actually took it to or did you go D to C? I mean, what was what was kind of the original model? Yeah, so for all, I mean, you know, it's been a, it's been a long journey, right? It's like Olipop is blowing through the roof and that's, and I'm so uh, thrilled and, and honored around that. It's also kind of the 17, 18 year, year overnight success story, right? So, I would say that there's so many lessons that have been learned along the way. And that is a part of the tapestry that I think put us in a really good position to execute on the uh, success that Olipops had. Um, and in terms of Olipops specifically, so we started, uh, you know, with technically the, the company's headquartered in Oakland, California. Ironically, myself and my business partner both no longer live in California, but we've got plenty of staff there. And that's where. Um, you know, kind of our more technically headquartered, but at the time we were both living in Northern California, and we went and found um, this great little DSD called Dairy Delivery. I still remember we just got in our cars, we drove up, and we basically said, "This is going to be huge, and this is the selling story." And they're like, and then, you know, they, and you could tell that they they liked us, you could tell that they were intrigued, and it was also their, they did what was responsible for them to do, which is to say. Go sell in some stores. If you sell into enough stores, we start to distribute you. So that was the first. I think they had wanted us to sell like a hundred stores, something like that. Um, but I think they kind of took it easy on us. And when we hit something like 40 to 60, they kind of said, okay, guys, cool. Uh, you know, we, we're believing more as we go. You guys did some stuff, uh, some store, store sold in. So we'll just, we'll pick it up right here. And, and, you know, fortunately for everybody, pretty much immediately when the product hit, the shelves, it started right. That organic movement has, from day one, has always been uh, something that we that we've experienced. So it was ended up being rewarding for them pretty quickly, and allowed us to start getting that critical data that we needed quickly to then, you know, facilitate more sales. Did your packaging look similar to what it is now? It did. Yeah, I mean, I, so humorously during the R and D phase, uh, David and I. Uh, sourced a, uh, a branding packaging agency out of London to do hmm. the first kind of swipe of the product. And we've put tens of thousands, I think, all in. I, mean, I don't remember the exact number it was. Somewhere between fifty and $70,000. So it was expensive. We were taking the money that we had, you know, the not massive amount of money that we had of our prior kind of muted exit. Mm-hmm. And we got all the way to the point where we had a... Uh, uh, mock-up, right? So a lot of work had, been, had gone into it, a can mock-up. And we, just, we both just like been like, setting this on fire, starting again. It just wasn't the right fit. And we actually found uh, a couple of guys out of Florida who really understood what we were trying to do. Really, like they had a really deep uh, relationship with uh, soda. They had grown up drinking it themselves, but they also understood we were trying to take it. And that essential pack architecture has stayed with us uh, through all of our skews. So we haven't uh, we haven't materially shifted pack architecture at all from from day one. So you obviously love innovation and creating flavors. You have an amazing uh, array of of really fun flavors. What are some of the most most popular flavors that people tend to gravitate towards? Yeah, thanks. Uh, and I don't know. I actually do one hundred percent of our formulation too. That's amazing. Like, it's a lot. Um, 
But um, so it's a little, I mean, I always advance. Right now, our top selling SKUs tend to be Starbird and beer, closely followed by the cola. But it's a little misleading because that, those were also, um, those are also three out of the four first flavors that we launched. So part of it's uh, this, this, what's hilarious to me as well is like now some of our flavors are, are already becoming nostalgic for our customers, which is like a, it's funny to see that, uh, that kind of full circle. But, you know, they also have the widest distribution. They have the kind of most entrenched fan base. So, I mean, we're seeing some real, we're seeing some real traction out of the orange uh, and the grape. Those are really spiking up. Uh, cream soda is a really new one, but it's just actually blowing up the shelves. The cherry coal is doing really well. The lemon lime is doing really well. So, um, yeah, I mean, that we're seeing some horses pick up speed. So they're not technically uh, the highest selling flavors, but I, we'll see like where it sits, you know, when we'll see where it's kind of lands in like three years. Yeah, do we still have this? Do we still, are the early players still kind of on top or do we see more people spreading? Yeah, definitely. No, I know what you mean. It's hard to sort of differentiate it because you've got different amounts of shelf space and, right. and different numbers of SKUs in these different stores and different types of uh, retailers as well. So club versus um, you know, the uh, more of the Whole Foods type of of stores too. So, right, what was right. your first store, by the way? I didn't I didn't catch that. Um, it was. It was uh, I mean, I don't. Almost the first. I think like the first one of the first bigger stores we had was Rainbow Market. Yeah, which is a co op <laughs> in San Francisco. I think we did really well at Berkeley Bowl, obviously, which is in Berkeley. I think one of the first chains we had was Molly Stones, right? So okay. this was, yeah. Um, Very similar. Were, our, our, yeah, those yeah. were some of our first ones. Whole Foods was our, our first one. And uh, Woodlands, actually. Woodlands okay. Market. Yeah. Was, I think uh, at the time we were tagging a Whole Foods. I don't even know if they were letting us do store-by-store selling. I, I think even back, I think when we were talking to Whole Foods, we had to approach them on a region by region basis, but I don't, I don't totally remember. So interesting. Yeah. So you've got a big D2C presence uh, today. There's a lot of brands that have started in D2C. Some of those mm-hmm. brands actually started uh, during COVID, totally made sense where they decided let's just go for it. But I'm, I'm so curious, what was it that made you, I mean, it's a pretty big business for you guys on D2C, I would guess as yeah. well. Yeah. So. Um, so when, at what point was it that you decided, okay, we've, we've got a ton of traction on retail, um, or was there another sort of thinking around D to C? Cause I know, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, especially before COVID are like, I don't know if I should go D to C because I'm already on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it doesn't make sense, but I think, yeah. you know, you, you guys have sort of, uh, made that decision what what is it that can you share on that yeah topic? Of course. yeah i mean for so we did we did launch olipop uh or, or shortly after launching we did build a d2c portion of the business right so that has always but uh it had pretty minimal investment and focus ironically up until COVID. i mean COVID was i think it was january or something like that year february when there were super early signals that, oh, this is, this is going to be a thing. Uh, which, oh boy, it wasn't a thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, back prior to really knowing what was going to happen, but having enough early signals that we knew it was going to impact the situation. Uh, so we're calling it dude, like, dude, we, we have to build the DDC. We have to massively reinforce our DDC platform like yesterday mm-hmm. uh, because we don't know how much in-store shopping is going to be affected, but it's definitely going to be affected. Um, now we happen to be lucky because uh, we thought that we were going to have to build a DC section of the business to hit our revenue goals for the year. What ended up happening is we actually hit our retail revenue goals anyway, because I think at that point we were already seeing signs that the customers that we had once they started consuming Olipop, they wanted it in their life. So we were this in this lucky subset of brands. And at the time, we didn't know, so it was terrifying. But as the year played out, we started to see these data signals of like, 
oh, wow. No, people are, they're only going to the store once a week, but they're actually grabbing enough Olipop for the whole week. So that was huge, right? Because if you don't know yet if you're a household item or an impulse purchase, uh-huh. learning that you're a household item in COVID was a huge sigh of relief. And then the DC revenue actually ended up being on top of that, which is, which is very lucky for us. Um, there was at the most extreme time period when COVID was in fullest swing possible. Our revenue was about 50-50 retail. And uh, that's where it maxed out as for, for DTC. Now we're in a, now we're like 1585, 15% DTC, 85% retail, um, which actually I feel so much better about because, you know, the reality is that retail really is a place where you want people finding your product, having that experience, learning about new, new, new flavors. It's, it's a great price for them because they don't have to pay for shipping. It's a great place to, to drive trial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, it's a little more stable. The reality is if you are in D2C land and all of a sudden your act, customer acquisition costs go through the roof, um, you've just blown your whole kind of, you know, your whole cost structure. And it's, you have very limited control over the direction that that will, that will take. Um, so GDC brands always have that as an exposure point where if you can build a really healthy business in, in brick and mortar, there's obviously still things that are outside of your control, but it tends to be more stable. And that's, uh, that's great for such a third pepper. I always feel like the consumer stories are the best, right? Especially mm-hmm. for founders. I tell my friends uh, who have never, they might like certain brands, but they've never written any stories to founders. I'm like, look, that's the that's the uh, juice that keeps people going because it's oh, like, 100. you know, you're, you're doing the right thing and uh, not just to make people feel good, but I think also just to give them feedback and et cetera. I, I'd love to hear if you've ever had a consumer story where, you know, maybe they told you about how uh, the prebiotics and, and just your drink in general was really yeah. hitting home for them um, that really, really kind of left you saying, okay, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, I mean, that's a really... And, and the fact that you have that insight, right, is is an indicator of your time in the trenches, right? Yeah, totally. You're, you're so right. I mean, those are so uplifting. What's tricky for us is some of the customer communication that we get is mind-blowing. Like, yeah. But we can't talk about 90% of it because there's a health component, right? Mm-hmm. So people have many different, uh, let's just call them ailments that are quite serious. And the letters we get uh, about the experiences they have, um, the kind of some of the some of the things that they've been able to, um, yeah, let's keep it very big. Some of the experiences they've been able to have uh, while incorporating all of their lifestyle. I mean, there are things that are really moving really really moving and we're like wow we are we are really making a difference um one that is a little uh that i actually can share that was quite powerful because it has less of an obvious uh you know health or disease state kind of attached to it is we did have a woman who wrote into us um whose grandmother had just passed away or recently passed away from uh uh, stomach cancer and when she was in hospice for the last, you know, two to three months when she was in hospice, um, it was very painful. So she couldn't eat or drink uh, anything. The only thing that she was able to actually consume was olive oil. And mm-hmm. so there was this long period of time. And what they would do is they'd bring her uh, root beer, the olive pop root beer. And, you know, and I mean, this is absolutely gut-wrenching the ego. It's like, you know, the only time we saw her smile in her last couple months of being alive is when she was drinking your root beer and reminisce and the root beer flavor brought her back to all of these memories that she has had mm-hmm. as a little girl or as, as you know a younger person consuming root beer and so it was this like real portal for these different these different memories uh, and now we all drink like pop root beer to remember goodbye thank you so much for making this flavor and I mean just like 
I mean, I absolutely, I mean, and I'm, I'm doing a disservice to how beautifully the email was uh, actually written because you just got off the inside of it. You read that thing. I, I just cried um, because That's it was awesome. so impactful. It was just like, not only did, you know, this all the layers to it, right? I'll let everybody unpack their own layers to it. But, um, you know, I think, so stuff like that gives you a lot of fuel. It gives a team a lot of fuel, lets you know that you make real, a real difference. The fact that she was able to consume Molly Pop when she wasn't really able to consume much else, it's also a very um, positive signal. But I, it also started to give us some of these early signals around, wow, this relationship that people have with soda goes so much deeper than we anticipate. Um, and that yeah. was kind of, that was some of the early signals that we started to get were stories like that from our customers that really defied expectations. I love it. So what have you learned about raising money and investors in your journey? We've had a number of entrepreneurs on the podcast who have shared stories about uh, bad investors and uh, and in previous companies, uh, you know, or um, very rarely do they talk about their existing um, companies, actually, but uh, but how they can kind of ruin everything. But what is your criteria when you are looking for investors? And can you share a little bit more on that? Yeah, it's actually really great. Um, I mean, you're absolutely, without getting specifics, uh, you're absolutely correct. The wrong investor uh, relationships can be extremely toxic to a business. Mm-hmm. You need, you definitely need to make sure that kind of uh, psychology is aligned, ethics are aligned, um, that they're folks that don't, that aren't, there's a lot of pred- predation that happens in the investment sphere. Um, and it's a tricky situation because uh, it's a high risk investment, you know, and everybody needs cash. So look, there's just, it's, go- it's going to certainly be tricky. Um, and, you know, it's, it is incumbent on the entrepreneur to ensure that they're really making something as competitive and as attractive as possible to create as much demand as they can during the fundraising cycles so that they have optionality, um, which is not only useful for them in terms of selecting the investor that feels the best in line versus just taking whatever they can get, but also then does give them some sanity in terms of the options uh, around gov- uh, governance, right? Negotiation around governance. Because look, at the end of the day, it boils down to what's your board composition, what are the relevant amount of equity ownership um, stakes, and what does your operating agreement look like, with, and what are the vetoes and the controls in the governance section. And like, if you are raising money, don't have your head wrapped around that. For the love of God, please find a really good lawyer that you can mm-hmm. trust and try to talk, talk to the portion of the business. So that's um, so that's like a that's a key uh, key piece. And what I just you know, Olipop kind of went through a couple of phases. Um, you know, I think the early phase we've always been an attractive investment. We've we've always been lucky enough to be fairly oversubscribed, but still, as an early business, people are more wary because it's not proven and the risk is higher and yada yada yada. So I'd say like when you're very early on in your capital raising. Uh, I think it is really important to uh, find people who will actually take time to listen to you, to listen to whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're, uh, they don't, you know, they don't paint themselves as a savior that you must raise money from because they're the only one that can help you. That's a good sign that something toxic is coming. Um, and people who will actually focus on the business and help you figure out, hey, I like your idea. I'm actually hearing you out. Is this business going to work or not work? Let's actually do a real exploration of that. And I'm going to try to help bring some discipline into this equation in the event that I believe in you, but I'm not 100% sure that you're kind of there with asking yourselves all the three-dimensional questions you need to ask yourself. But really, like, people who seem bought into the mission um, and are, are real advocates uh, for you and the brand, but bring a real business focus in the equation. If you get some positive traje- trajectory, the equation changes again, because now the people that used to just kind of be assholes when you'd go ask them about money, now they're nice. Um, yeah. So that changes again. I still think the kind of the basic parameters are still uh, important to track though, which is, are they kind of hitting you with ego? Like, first of all, you need to do back channeling on your investors. You need to figure out like, do they end up seemingly bizarrely taking majority control of the company a lot? Or do they have a partnership, a good track record of, of real partnership? 
Um, do they bring in a lot of their own people and really impact the culture? Or do they let the operators make independent decisions around how they build the business? Like, those are important things you want to go poke around on. Um, and I think as well, anyone, if you're having some success, anybody who makes it about you as the entrepreneur or tries to hit you from the ego build angle, I would stay away from. Because the people who make it about you and the people who make it and try to build up your ego are the same people who will use those tools to break you down when things aren't going well. And that's mm-hmm. not, that's the time. So, but people who are still quite mission driven, um, quite actually focused on the business, um, and, uh, you know, are able to kind of articulate emotional intelligence to you through your interactions with them. Those are going to be the right, that you, those, that's a higher chance that you're going to have the right part. Yeah. And I think I, uh, the one other thing I would add to what you're saying, totally agree with what you're saying is that, uh, they, should love your product or service, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if, if they don't really get it, right? Like maybe uh, you've got somebody who's very interested in investing in your company, but just doesn't really, isn't that interested in prebiotics or gut health or, right. you know, they're, they're like, um, you know, Ben, like this is all a bunch of garbage, uh, no, you no, know. No, no. No, right. You do no. not want those investors uh, in your product. And yeah, I think that that's such a such a key, key thing. Well, this is we could I could talk to you for hours. Uh, you are absolutely incredible. And oh, uh, we'll have all of the info in the show notes to all about Olipop. But thank you so much for coming on, Ben, and sharing your inspiration and wisdom with everybody. And uh, again, super nice to meet you. And everybody needs to go out and try Olipop. And uh, thank you again. Thanks, Kara. Really appreciate being here. Thanks again for listening to The Kara Golden Show. If you would, please give us a review and feel free to share this podcast with others who would benefit. And of course, feel free to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of our podcast. Just a reminder that I can be found on all platforms at Kara Golden. And if you want to hear more about my journey, I hope you will have a listen or pick up a copy of my book, Undaunted, which I share my journey including founding and building Hint. We are here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And thanks everyone for listening. Have a great rest of the week and 2023 and goodbye for now. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head-on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.